0: Hello, and welcome back to another edition of NAEMT Radio. I'm your host Rob Lawrence. This is the podcast that comes out every two weeks from NAMT, and we bring you the latest and greatest from the association. We discuss the issues that are going on in the EMS profession, uh, obviously whether that's operational, whether that's a case of data or quality or indeed clinical. We're covering everything. Today we're going to focus on legislation a little bit and uh, to help me do that, I would like to welcome uh, guests, returning guests, in fact, uh, Matt Zavansky and Steve Kroll. As in, in normal fashion, I'll ask you guys to introduce yourself and let everybody know where you're from, and of course, how you fit into the grand scheme of NAMT. We'll start with you, Steve.
1: Uh, good morning. Thanks, Rob, for having us. Uh, Steve Kroll. i from snowy upstate New York, where I lead a hybrid EMS agency. Uh, I'm the vice chair of the NAMT Advocacy Committee. I have served on the NAEMT point of directors. And I spent four years working at a health tech startup that conducted about 1,500 treat and place encounters, which is uh, relatively
0: uh, aligned with the subject we're going to talk about today. Actually, vitally important, Steve.
2: Uh, Matt, to bring yourself in here. Thanks, Rob. Uh, I am the chief transformation officer for MedStar, the public utility model EMS system in Fort Worth. And Currently or currently the South Central Region Director for NEEMT, but a past president of NEEMT, chair their economics committee. And I've worked with Steve on a number of initiatives for the last 106 years or so for payment reform for EMS. And Steve, I didn't realize that you were the director of a hybrid EMS system. Is that because you're using both gas and electric vehicles?
1: Uh, no, we're all on gas, but uh, uh, we, we've got both. Uh, we've got about sixty
0: volunteers and about sixty career employees. There's another podcast coming up on hybrid vehicles in extreme cold weather, but we'll park that. Excuse the pun for the minute. No minutes. pun
2: intended. Yes. Yeah.
0: No pun intended. So, moving on, we're going to talk about uh, something that you, you you kind of introduced it really, um, Steve, and that's tip and tad. And first of all, I hate acronyms, so we're going to break out. We talk about tip and tad like they're words when it's just another EMS TLA, a three-letter abbreviation. So, transport to alternate destinations and treatment in place. Matt, would you care to do an explainer on what we mean by this?
2: Treatment in place, and Steve mentioned it, is really what many of us have been doing for years, but the treatment in place has been initiated by the patient. So, in most EMS systems, the protocol is, you never ask the patient if they want to be transported. You ask them to where and which hospital. They would like to be transported, primarily because of the economic model and so that medical directors can sleep better at night because we're not convincing people to not go to the hospital. Treatment in place takes that concept to a much more quality-assured, medically-driven patient navigation model where low-acuity patients that the EMS crew truly believes does not need to be in an emergency room to get their care and could get their care in a more appropriate setting is now part of protocol that would allow the EMS crew to mention that to the patient not just wait for the patient to bring it up and most importantly get reimbursed for patient navigation and treatment in place instead of transport thank you very much for
0: that explainer obviously we just need to when we talk about tip and tad and i you, I won't abbreviate any any further that's what we're talking about Now, when I was chatting to Susan Bailey uh, in the first episode of 2024, she actually gave me this amazing statistic, and it was using the number of estimated patients that were treated in place and not transported to an emergency department, a total of $38.5 million was saved by CMS by reimbursing EMS agencies for treatment in place. So that's quite a powerful number, but obviously we want to break this out and make it Nationwide.
2: Yeah, that's the key. You know, the we've we've had to back into some of the savings to the federal government. And to be fair, and and Steve lives in this world all the time. And when we do advocacy and we talk to members of Congress and their staffers, it it comes down to the economics, right? They understand the medicine, they understand the patient experience. But really, what's the economics? And if we and we have been able to show that by reimbursing EMS to not bring people to the hospital we would reduce preventable emergency department visits probably reduce preventable admissions and have done some really good economic modeling for cms and congress to show how much downstream savings that is the payments to ems are going to be the same so they're not going to save any money on ems payments in fact some of their ems payments will and the aggregate go up because they're going to be reimbursing us for things that they never have before. But reimbursing Steve's hybrid EMS system in upstate New York, $1,000 for a scene treat and treatment in place, and not having to spend $5,000, $6,000 on a treat and street ER visit is an exponential return on investment. Steve. One of the reasons we're having this podcast
0: right now is as we work up towards uh, the amazing event that is uh, an EMT EMS on the Hill, which is 17th and 18th of April. So it's not that far away. If you haven't booked your ticket in a hotel, I would suggest everybody gets on and does that. But obviously, this is going to be a major part of the ask as we go around uh, the Hill that day. So imagine this, Steve. We've just walked into our locally elected officials' office on the Hill we're there, we've done the photographs, we're in our uniforms, we're resplendent. How do folk conduct the ask to get something done? And and the second part of that is, what are we leaving behind with those officials when we're on the Hill?
1: So Matt's done a great job of describing the economic model. I'm going to talk about it for a moment from the personal standpoint. Um, And that's how I would greet my member of Congress. I've been doing EMS for a lot of years. And from the beginning of my EMS career in snowy Buffalo, I've been called upon to, as Matt said, not what, not do you want to go to the hospital, but what hospital do you want to go to? To people that have dialed 911, that have a minor or low acuity ailment. And this happens in the snow. It happens in the rain. It happens in the middle of the night. And we're basically uprooting people and taking them to the least patient-friendly place, which is an overcrowded emergency room for something that could be done differently. So for my as a young EMT, I would say to my partner, why do we take this person to the hospital that needs a bandage change or needs, you know, a medication adjustment? Why can't it be done in place? And so what I will say to my member of Congress is we have figured out a way to number one, save money, as Matt explained, for, for the Medicare program, for the Medicaid program, for insurance companies. Help hospitals have less crowded emergency rooms and get the satisfaction of really helping a patient in a way that's friendly to them. Nothing makes me feel more rotten than having to bundle that patient up in really cold weather, take them out of their home, carry them down the stairs, um, put them through the experience of waiting in the queue at the emergency room. If we could take in a few minutes to solve their problem right where they are. The patient's going to have a better experience. The patient's family is going to feel better. And I'm going to feel great about what I do. Talk about
0: leave-behinds and what how useful they are.
1: So we've got some legislation that has been introduced. And we have some more legislation that's being worked on. And the NAMT advocacy team right now is preparing some leave-behinds. So we'll have a bill number to give to the folks. So right now, um, there's a Senate and House bill. It's S-3236 in HR. 6257, the Emergency Medical Services Reimbursement on Scene and Support Act. It's been introduced by uh, three, uh, three members of Congress, two senators and one representative. So Senator Welch, Chairman Sanders, and Representative Baling from Vermont. And basically, this bill declares that transportation is unnecessary for Medicare payment and directs that payments would be made for treat-in-place or transport to an alternate destination. Um, That bill is, we're going to have a copy of the bill language for everyone to look at, or anybody could go and search it on the internet and find it very quickly. We'll have a one-pager or maybe it'll be a two-pager that describes the things we're talking about now in congressional-friendly language, why this is a good idea, what it will do, why it works for everybody. Um, There's another member of Congress, um, Representative Michael Carey of Ohio, who's a member of the very important House Ways and Means Committee who's also working on a bill that takes a slightly different approach, Uh, we expect that bill will be introduced and live by the time we all get to Washington in a few weeks.
0: Steve, thank you for that. Don't forget, uh, whatever platform you take your podcasts on, please make sure you like and subscribe. If you're looking at us on a platform on your iPhone, there's a little plus or a check mark. if you check that. What it means is you've liked, you've subscribed, and you'll get notified every time an episode of any EMT radio drops. Uh, Matt, I think you had a question for Steve.
2: Steve and Rob, I know that we're trying not to use acronyms, but Steve, you read the official title of the bill. It, it has an acronym. Uh, what is that acronym? EMS Rocks. EMS Rocks. What a great name for a bill and absolutely true.
0: I think we exchanged an email in the past, Matt. I thought it was EMS ROSC. And I thought that was really appropriate because we're trying to revive something here. But uh, EMS does indeed rock. So that's pretty cool. So we have a third guest uh, this time around on NAMT Radio. And uh, I'm also now going to bring in Regina Crawford uh, from the great state of North Carolina. Regina, welcome. And please introduce yourself. And what do you do?
3: Great. Good morning. Um, my name is Regina Gaudette Crawford. I am an active lobbyist in North Carolina. I also work with EMS Management and Consultants as their advocate li- liaison. So we're covering about 43 states. Uh, most of my work is done in North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, uh, those that are contiguous to North Carolina. So that's a little bit about me.
0: So you were listening in to the discussion we already had with Steve and Matt. Obviously, we kind of set up the, the, the rationale for the discussion, treatment in place, transport to alternate destination. We talked about EMS on the Hill. One of the things I asked Steve earlier is when you get into the elected official's office, and obviously you want to start by setting out your store, telling the story of the reason we need to do this. I think North Carolina is interesting in that you have been very, proact- very active and proactive in you know all things community, all things treatment in place, but it's not going so well now though.
3: It's not, um, Rob. I think ET3 and the adjustment they did there with the funding, really we we got, the momentum was going in North Carolina. We had various urban systems that were moving forward with it. A little bit done at some local rule systems. Um, grant funding was very available and that has all come to kind of a, a stopping point. Uh, and with ET3 not moving forward, it has made a vast uh, adjustment in what local counties are able to do and in states i mean there's just not any funding i will say that i think the pandemic if we have to have a good side to the pandemic and COVID that we just went through is it put us on the front line but putting us on the front line does not pay the bills so even though we recognize we have um Still momentum, I think people are a little discouraged with ET3 going away, but I think the momentum is there that we've got to get this to our local General Assembly. So we're working right now in North Carolina to develop an EMS survey, kind of a state of the state of EMS, uh, and we're going to do that in 24, present that to the General Assembly at the end of 24, and hopefully ask for some one-time sustainable funding or one-time funding for North Carolina EMS and that be targeted to that just to help us use some of that money for those initiatives. But I think the drive is going to be bringing the data to show this is what we do. This is what we're proven to do. We've been successful at that. We just need some funding to help us get started and reactivate it. So that's kind of where we are in North Carolina. South Carolina has been very successful in getting the funding for that. Uh, and they're moving forward. And we just like to play catch up and make sure North Carolina, as well as other states, get the funding that we most Direly deserve and uh, keep the momentum going because we do a lot more than you call we haul. We're much more than that in EMS,
0: and, and that's actually North Carolina, South Carolina. I've always had North Carolina as a very progressive EMS state. Obviously, by the way that it's you know kind of set up. um And if you're having problems, then of course that then magnifies itself across what we're trying to do on the hill, which is to say we really want to do this, but we're being prevented from doing so. And actually, all during uh, Regina's. Uh, Points there, Matt. You were nodding furiously there. So, uh, you know, what are you agreeing with there?
2: Oh, you know, we've been told by officials at Medicare and by large commercial payers that they don't set clinical policy, they don't set practice policy. But what we have told them and what we live every day, to Regina and Steve's point specifically, reimbursement policy changes medical care delivery. And most EMS agencies across the country have not taken full advantage of the concept of patient navigation, doing the right thing for the patient, getting them to the right care, right time, right place, all those things that you hear about at the right cost, by the way, because there was no reimbursement. Once reimbursement's on the table, it makes the ability to operationalize TIP and TAD in a much more global way, because we won't get financially penalized for doing the right thing for the patient. So, Rob, I'm a cup half full kind of guy, and I think
1: we could all spend a lot of time lamenting over what what happened with ET three, and, and um, you know the timing of it, and um, some of the way the policies developed. But I think we've got a great opportunity here. And so Regina mentioned, you know, the things that are happening in her state. Um, in my state, New York, uh, we've got treat and place legislation and alternate destination legislation on the top of our priority list for this state's legislative session. And our governor actually acknowledged it in her state of the state speech, which is the kickoff to the legislative session and having the governor even mention your topic is, is, is considered to be a big deal. And so. This is a multifaceted approach for us. Medicaid patients tend to be patients that will call 911 for non-emergency because of their access to care limitations. So we think it's a tremendous opportunity if we in our state and in other states, if the state legislators look at this and say, we will make reimbursement available for treat place or transport to alternate destinations. Insurance companies have the same sort of incentive, right? We When we explain to a commercial insurer, and some of these commercial insurers actually insure lots of Medicaid recipients through um, contracts with the state, Medicaid managed care, or they have a lot of um, Medicare patients through the Medicare Advantage program, they can take a look at this and say, um, as Matt explained the economics, okay, I pay the ambulance like I would have paid them anyway, and I'm not sending a patient to the emergency room where they're going to run up a four, five, $6,000 bill and instead, maybe I'm going to be paying for a facilitated telemedicine visit that costs one-tenth of what that emergency room bill is. So we're going to approach this in a multifaceted way. And I would like to look at it. We gained some data and some experience from ET3. We have people that are enthusiastic about this. Regina talked about how the pandemic has changed how people look at EMS. So not to be corny, but this is the time that EMS rocks, right? We, we've got the potential to move this forward in the next year.
0: Great. Of course, you know, we keep using the P word here, but uh, we had waivers during the pandemic, which of course were then unwaived. Um, And back then, I may have had this discussion with you, Matt, that, you know, I didn't think we don't need ET3 because we've now got the waivers to do it. We're doing it anyway. And then, Matt, you brought me right back down to the ground by saying, yes, but we needed to do this because we needed the feds to receive the data, to believe the data. And then to act on it. And obviously, this is my last use of the word et 3 but obviously when that went away, we lost our ability to therefore demonstrate, because it was a demonstration project after all, the worth and the value. And so that's, I think, the regain we have to do on the hill to say this is, this is the value and this is the data and this is the reason. And so that, that's that, I think that's the big job.
2: Rob, your point is well taken, and you know Steve and I and a number of the other big national associations have been really perplexed by the fact that CMS will absolutely positively not release the savings that they achieved during the ET3 model, um, which just befuddles us, and, and that's okay. However, what we were able to do, because you mentioned the waivers, is we asked CMS—well, Congress, on our behalf, asked CMS— how much did Medicare pay for EMS treatment in place during the pandemic waiver? And CMS gave the Congressional Budget Office that number. We then took that number, to about $20 million, and said, okay, that, based on average reimbursement for an ambulance on scene, represents about 56,000 non-transports during the pandemic, during the waiver. And then we did the math using federal data, Medicare's data on the average reimbursement for an ER visit, the uh, Healthcare Utilization Project, part of our uh, Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality. I'm trying not to use acronyms, Rob. And we used federally published data on expenses for healthcare and wrote a one-pager, actually a two-pager front back if you look at it that way, showing very simple math that even a member of Congress could understand or the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office for that matter, that if the payment policy was to reimburse EMS for the response, not the transport, and EMS therefore were able to reduce, as ET3 shows, reduce the percentage of Medicare beneficiaries who are transported to the hospital by 15%. That number has been studied and referenced in several uh, peer-reviewed journals. We would save the Medicare program Somewhere between 1.5 and 1.9 billion dollars annually using actual data from CMS, using data from other um, published federal reports. So it's on, I hate to say it, but for the folks listening to the podcast, the reality is this comes down to the money. And if we can show a 1.5 billion dollar savings on, you know, maybe a hundred you know, hundred million dollar spend th- that means something inside the beltway in DC and it sells Indeed. and it brings in more revenue for EMS.
0: EMS is a business like it or not. I think I've said that for many, this is a classic Robism, but it's true that uh, we have to worry about the, the pennies. And so the, the dollars look after themselves, but uh, this is clearly a part and parcel of doing that. Um, Obviously, we wanted to come on. We wanted to talk about uh, transport to alternate destinations, treatment in place. I think we've done that. As we get ready for, most certainly, uh, EMS on the hill. As we get ready to talk to both our state house and federal officials, what are your final thoughts and words of encouragement? And uh, I'll start with you, Steve.
1: I think that we are, we are, um, we're ready for this change and this transition to happen. Um, the the alignment of incentives is really there right now. Um, as EMS providers, this is something that will help us professionally use all of our skills because right now, essentially, we're being told that our skills are we have we have clinical skills, but only use them and only use them on the way to the hospital. You can't use them in different ways. And I think that has does not allow us to operate to the top of the education we've received of pre-hospital care professionals. So it's great for us. It's great for us in our careers. It's great for us in how we feel about what we do. We've already talked about how this is person-friendly to the patient, how we can weave the patient in a better circumstance. This is also great for hospitals right now. Hospital ERs are overcrowded. They're, in my state, it is not uncommon to wait for an EMS crew to have to wait an hour to drop off a patient. And I know you've you've talked a lot about that in your
0: work, Rob, and Yeah, don't get me going on California and ambulance patient offload times. Let's move on quickly.
1: So there's a debate about that going on, right? But but what better way to help the hospital than to bring them less patients that don't don't need to be there so they have that room available for somebody that's coming in with a real emergency that needs immediate care? And for the insurance industry, the insurance industry is always talking about how they need to cut costs. And so... Here, we're handing them away that on their commercially insured population, they can keep people out of the emergency room. So the incentives are aligned, and Matt talked about how the incentives are aligned for Congress, saving Medicare money. Up and down, everybody you know—everybody wins if we can figure out how to get this in place and not only have innovators like Matt doing it, and but bring this so every EMS agency can do
0: this using the skills that EMS providers already have. Matt, before I ask you to speak, also talk about the fact that we're doing this in partnership, and you were in at the beginning of all the, the, the creation of partnerships across our national associations, so it's not just NAMT.
2: Yeah, one of the great things that came about in our profession during the pandemic was the coalition that has been created between NAEMT, the American Ambulance Association, the International Association of Fire Chiefs, and the International Association of Firefighters and now the National Association of EMS Physicians, we meet at least monthly at a very regular time to strategize federal policy, priorities, legislation, uh, issues that we want to support, or in some cases, not support. And that collaboration not only has built much stronger relationships between all of the major national associations, but it has served the profession well, because we're all working in a common direction, and making decisions about, okay, who's going to take the lead on a certain initiative? So in some cases, the American Ambulance Association's taking the lead, and the rest of us just support that initiative. In some cases, any is taking the lead, or IFC's taking the lead, and the others just support it. And we're not fighting with each other inside the Capitol, which means nothing happens when we're all giving different messages. It's been phenomenal. And it's been going on for almost two and a half years now. Great. And if you want to see that in action, when you come to EMS on the Hill, like last
0: year, it wasn't just the president of an AMT on the podium giving the welcome. It was actually either the lead or a rep from each of those associations joining the, the fight, joining the party. And I think that r- was really, really telling. Great. Matt, I'll, I'll take that as your final thoughts. Re- Regina, uh, take us home.
3: Absolutely. Uh, I have to agree with both what what Steve and Matt said, I do think we have a window of opportunity. And instead of looking behind at the fact that we don't have the ET3 anymore, let's make our own data. Let's make our own actual position, take a position locally. And I still say the grassroots effort is where it all begins and it starts and ends. Um, So I agree with both their sentiments. I do think the partnerships and collaborations are key. It has worked successfully in North Carolina with other things that we've attempted to do. And I speak to North Carolina, but I would have to say it's worked across the country. Um, The collaborative and partnerships, we've got to go uniformly when we go after something. We've got to have the hospital association. We've got to have fire. We've got to have EMS all at the same table. We will get nothing going with a different point of view from each perspective. So what we've tried to do again, back to what we're trying to do in North Carolina is to focus on getting everybody together and let's have approach. This is your topic, but don't support me in what I'm trying to do in EMS and I can support you with readmissions and hospitals and reduce the number of people that are standing in your ED. We are having three to four hours and this is what we just talked to with Medicare and Medicaid. We have those wait times. It is destroying everything we're trying to do But I think they're understanding when you talk, you sit down and talk to a hospital representative, they realize, you know, there's there's a point here. We have wait times and we can't fix this without EMS. So we need to partner together. So I I think it's key uh, to move forward. I think the window of opportunity is there. I think the partnerships and the collaboration are key to our success while this window of opportunity is open. And I think we have to move and move aggressively.
0: Thank you all very, very much for those thoughts on uh, treatment in place, transport to alternate destination. Don't forget, all of the references that we've talked about will appear in the show notes, and we'll make sure we get those bills for you. Uh, and Matt, if you want to send your, your two-pager over, we can. I'm sure we can uh, show that too. Also, make sure you've marked your calendars for uh, EMS on the Hill Day, which is Wednesday, April the 17th. Uh, so it starts on uh, April the 17th with a check-in uh, obviously the hill briefing which is vitally important grouping into your state groups and again you will act, if you're coming from a, let's say Virginia you will meet people from Virginia you've never met before so it's a great networking opportunity as well Eight, uh, 18th is the hill day itself followed by a post hill reception it's an amazing day put your Fitbit on by the way because you're going to get your steps in too don't forget that <laughs> all this is an audio podcast everybody's now nodding on the screens because it's a good, good 15,000 stepper at least so uh, come and come and uh, do a hike with rob in fact it's all coming up everything's in the show notes so thank you all very much for listening to namt radio whichever platform you get your podcasts on Um, we'll be back in two weeks time so for the moment steve matt regina thank you very much indeed Uh, i've been rob lawrence this has been namt radio and until next time bye for now